This podcast was supported by the Pulitzer Center. Linda defied the odds and was allowed to cross into the U.S. after a frantic journey to the border. This was just the first step in reaching safety. There was still so much uncertainty. After hearing horror stories of CBP agents holding migrants for days in freezing cold rooms, she worried about her kids ending up in one of those hieleras. But she trusted her gut signed some papers, and hopped on a bus. She has no idea where they were being taken to. With her kids by her side, the bus kept moving, and the scenery kept changing. Is this the United States? Really? Are we already here? Linda asked. She couldn't believe they were standing on U.S. soil. In May 2021, she and 14 family members were granted an exemption to Title 42 and obtained humanitarian parole. At a time when the border was closed, she was able to legally cross. Her fate is unique compared to so many others who never make it. En eso, este, nos paran a, a un hotel. Muy bonito el hotel, por cierto. The bus came to a halt in front of one of the nicest hotels Linda had ever seen. But she panicked. Do I need to call my brother to lend me more money? I don't have any money. Officers took Lina and her family to a big room where they were offered water, a change of clothes, and hygiene kits. She was in shock. Somehow her family had skipped the dreadful dieleras and instead gone straight to a nice hotel. This experience with CBP officers was completely different from the first time she tried to cross in Tijuana. After three days of COVID quarantine in that hotel, Linda was told she would be taken to her brother who lives in California. They were put on a plane to meet him, and to her surprise, he was free of charge. Linda had two brothers, Willie, who was killed by Narcos, and the oldest, who had left home for the U.S. when she was 11 years old. He was her only remaining brother, and she was eager to see him. Once she arrived at her brothers in Napa, she finally felt at ease. There were no more shootings, no more hiding in pickup trucks, no more border officials. She was free to leave, to raise her children. She could feel her body relax. Years of stress slowly began to melt away. She was finally able to sleep. And that night, she slept like she never had before. U.S. migration policies have become a strange gamble for people who seek refuge. Tens of thousands remain in limbo, and only a lucky few are able to cross. But those who make it to the U.S. still face the challenges of a new culture. This story takes you from the beautiful avocado fields in Michoacán, Mexico, to wineries in Napa, California. To the NRA convention and shelters in Tijuana. To the foreign lands migrants now call home. I'm Toya Sarna Jordan. And I'm Stefania Corpi. This is episode four of Caliber 60.
It's Tuesday morning and we're in Linda's shared kitchen in Napa, California. She offers her three sons some milk and bread as she hurries them for school. The 11-year-old likes to look good. He spends half an hour getting ready in the single bathroom they all share. In her 30s, Linda's learning how to drive. Her brother gave her a car as soon as they reached Napa so she could get to the kids' school and her cleaning job on time. Her youngest child is actually Willie's son. When they fled Michoacán, Linda took him under her wing. You're his mother too, Willie told Linda in the days leading up to his murder. <laughs> As we waited for the school bus, Linda's oldest son tells us he's learning math and English during summer school. O sea, ya les entiendo a las personas cuando platican conmigo, pero todavía como no sé hablarlo. He explains that his English is improving. He understands people when they talk, but has trouble speaking. Their new life was not as easy as they were expecting. Faced with a new culture and school in a new language, adaptation has been a challenge. They don't have friends yet, but they're grateful they get to go to school. In Michoacán, schools were often closed for weeks at a time because of cartel violence, and now they're eager to catch up. Once, Lina even tried taking them to see snow for the first time. All three said that if it meant skipping school, they wouldn't have it. Food is also something they're getting used to. Fresh ingredients are more expensive, and eating home-cooked meals rarely happens anymore. Back in Ixtaro, Linda would walk to the tiendita every day and buy fresh food to cook. But now she's too busy working and driving her kids around. They just can't get used to tortillas made in the U.S. And who can blame them? Their daily routine is different here in Napa. For the kids, playing soccer in the afternoons is no longer a habit, and Lina misses her walks through town. <laughs> Lina and her three sons share just one bedroom. Besides that, the rest of the house is a common area. We walk inside the house, past a hallway surrounded by family pictures, none of which are theirs. They belong to the owner. On the surface, the kids seem fine. But at their young age, they've lived through traumatic events hard for anyone to endure. One of Linda's sons tells us in a low voice that he doesn't like to leave their room. He's very affectionate with Linda, but very quiet around other people. Back home, shootings kept the boys inside for days on end. Staying indoors and playing video games gave them comfort, and it still does. We can tell parts of this new life weigh heavily on them. You're listening to Caliber 60. We'll be right back.
Support for this podcast comes from the Catena Foundation, making ambitious public radio journalism projects under TPR's Border and Immigration News Desk possible. Welcome back to Caliber 60. Linda's brother moved to California 22 years ago, so when they were finally reunited, she didn't quite know how to feel. She had mixed feelings. He was someone she hardly knew, but she was excited to spend time with him. As an investment, this brother had bought avocado crops back in Ixtaro, which Willie took care of. Willie spent endless nights caring for those avocado trees. He gave his life for those trees, Linda tells us. And she's right, Willie died defending his land. Linda no longer walks by rows of avocado farms. Now she drives past hills of vineyards in Napa Valley. There's a large community of Michoacanos who work in these vineyards. Linda's often invited to their get-togethers, and while we visited, we joined her for a couple of Father's Day celebrations. She likes to put makeup on and dress up for the occasion, and generally has fun, but at times she feels aloof. She's surrounded by extended family she's still getting to know. Sadness and nostalgia mix with a sense of safety and comfort in her new life. Two decades ago, people in Mexico didn't flee from violence. They left to find jobs. Carlos González Gutiérrez, Consul General of Mexico in San Diego, explains that Mexican families have been migrating to the U.S. for many decades. People know that there is a need for workers, that there are jobs, and that those jobs will be well-paid. Communities of origin rely heavily on remittances sent back. In 2022, migrants from Michoacán sent $5 billion home. Another factor for migration is family reunification. Many undocumented migrants spend decades without being able to travel back home to see their loved ones. So families move to the U.S. to be together. As a result, these families are binational. Some members are U.S. citizens, some other members are Mexican nationals, some have green cards, some are undocumented. But now, there are new spikes of Mexican migrants crossing the border for reasons unrelated to the economy or family reunification. We hear about all kinds of cartel violence, um, people who had to flee their homes. They can't leave the house or travel anywhere because there are roadblocks in their towns that are controlled by the cartels. That's Holly Webb, supervising attorney for the Border Rights Project with Al Otro Lado, a nonprofit that provides legal orientation for migrants who are at the border. We've definitely seen a huge, huge number of, of migrants from that area who are internally displaced. A few years ago, people would just walk to a port of entry, explain they were in danger at home, and be able to request asylum. Now things are more complicated. Since Title 42 was implemented, the border has been almost completely closed to asylum seekers of any nationality. As a result, avoidable tragedies have also become more frequent. 
all of these policies that are designed to deter people, they ultimately, they are going to result in death. Like the migrants who died in the speeding truck in Chiapas, Mexico. Or those who died locked inside a trailer in San Antonio, Texas. And the latest in Juarez resulting in the death of migrants locked inside a detention center. The Mexican consul says that making the Tijuana border wall higher is only causing more deaths among migrants. We have seen at the Mexican consulate a dramatic raise in the number of people dying in their attempts to cross the border. The ones that have managed to legally cross have been able to do so obtaining exemptions to Title 42 and requesting humanitarian paroles. This was Linda's case. A growing community from Ixtaro has taken refuge in Napa. This community meets every two weeks to discuss how to make Ixtaro safer for their families back home. And this time, it happens to be Father's Day. There's loud music in the background and laughter. Women mash up avocados with their hands while meat sizzles on the grill. Many whom we talk to still worry for their safety and prefer to remain anonymous. One man explains he never really rests because his relatives are still in Ixtaro. He fears for their lives back home. I lived through that massacre, another man says, referring to the day Willie was killed. Mi deseo es que el pueblo y nuestros pobladores vivan como hace 25 años atrás. This man's only wish is that his town would go back to the way it was 25 years ago. La violencia, combatiéndola con violencia no funciona. Las armas solo van a hacer destrucción. You can't fight violence with violence. Weapons will only cause destruction, he says. The other man tells us he also had to flee Ixtaro from one day to the next. Lo que he vivido, pues, que se libere y no vaya a repercutir en, en mi futuro. Y, y para sentir esa tranquilidad, y, igual. He adds that he sought psychological help to prevent the traumas he's lived from echoing into his future. The sense of safety doesn't always feel real. Linda shares that feeling. She thinks of the narcos Willie killed the day he confronted them in the plaza. La verdad, a veces, me imagino que, que hasta quieren entrar para acá también con tal de buscarme. She also thinks of those he wounded and still fears they'd be out for revenge, even if it meant finding her in the U.S. Ellos también traen coraje por lo que pues mi hermano hizo también. She knows they carry the same grief she does for what her brother did to them. Porque esa gente es como... Narcos don't forget so easily. In the next and final episode of Calibre 60... Ready. Already. Pull the trigger. The gun goes off. Release the trigger. The firearm goes off again. Calibre 60 is reported and produced by Toya Sarno-Jordan and me, Stefania Corpi. Producer Jacob Rosati created all the sound design and original scoring for this podcast. Audio editing by Bennett Smith. Our editor is Yvette Benavides, associate editor of TPR and TPR Noticias. And Dan Katz is TPR's vice president of news and our executive producer. This is a production of Texas Public Radio with support from the Pulitzer Center and the Catena Foundation. Till next time... 